If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, we are going to be speaking with Nikki Krozik about copywriting for your organization and maybe even for your career. Before we get there, I just want to remind folks that we are planning a chief executive coaching group that will start in January. It is limited to 12 chief executives, and it is designed to help you as a chief executive handle what will probably be some tough times coming our way in 2021. So make sure you go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and learn more about our chief executive coaching group. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Nikki. She is not only a phenomenal copywriter, but also a leader in the profession. When I go to her website, she actually has a couple websites, but when I go to one of her websites where she markets her copywriting services, I see household names that you recognize and I recognize. Adidas, Hasbro, Reebok, TripAdvisor. So let's face it. If these brands trust Nikki to be doing copywriting, she's got to be doing something right, and she really has to know her stuff. Now, one of the other things that I have mad respect for Nikki about is she's a very successful copywriter. She could make a great living just being a copywriter for these Fortune 500 companies. But she has started an additional business where she helps individuals figure out how to launch their own copywriting career. And she does that at Filthy Rich Writer. By the way, URL is the same, filthyrichwriter.com, but she does that at Filthy Rich Writer. She is coming on today for a few reasons. The first is to help provide some tips for ways that your nonprofit can be more effective in copywriting with the understanding that you probably do not have just one employee who is devoted only to copywriting. And toward the end of our conversation, we are going to chat a little bit about 
What if one of our listeners is interested in copywriting as a side hustle or maybe even a career change? So make sure you stay through all the way to the end if you think you have any interest at all in being a copywriter. Hey, Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's just jump right in. What advice do you have for those non-copywriters? Maybe they're in a one-person or two-person marketing department or development officer, or maybe even the executive director who need to produce compelling copy for their nonprofit. Copywriting for nonprofits is a little bit different than writing for your average business. And actually, I would go ahead and say that it's in a way, a little bit easier to write for your average business. Because one of the most important things that you want to convey in copywriting is the benefit to consumer. What do they get out of doing what you want them to do? Um, and when it comes to, you know, buying a car or even, um, you know, signing up for a newsletter, it's, it's relatively easy to convey exactly what they get out of it. Whereas when you're writing for your own nonprofit, that that benefit is a little bit more amorphous, right? You don't get a car. You don't get free tips. You don't get all that kind of thing. In general, it's more of a feeling. Now, if you are doing a campaign where they do get something, you know, where they get, <laughs> thinking back to PBS when I was a kid, you get a tote bag or something like that, um, then you can talk to that element. But uh, because in general, you don't have that really firm benefit to consumer. What you need to get really focused on are two things. Number one is, is the emotion, because that's really the benefit that people are getting when they contribute, when they are part of a cause, when they're helping to make a difference, their takeaway is that emotion, the feeling that they're going to get knowing that they have contributed. So that's something that you really need to convey and really need to get into. And one of the easiest ways to get there is through storytelling, is to really get detailed about, it could be someone that your organization is benefiting, it could be the outcome of a previous campaign, or it could be a situation on the ground, so to speak, that your organization is, is trying to deal with right now. But the more detailed you can get, the more you can really bring something to life, the more you're going to hook people, get them interested, and get them to the point where they're reading, they're following along, and then hopefully pressing that button to donate. So obviously, they've got to be tapping into the emotion. What are some of the other core writing skills? As an example, shorter sentences, longer sentences, more punctuation, less punctuation. What does a copywriter want when they're trying to really build that compelling case? Well, I'll tell you something, and this is painful for me to say because I am a writer, but no one is going to read a whole big bunch of copy. Nobody wants that. You know, in general, you want to make your pieces as easy to get through as possible. And I know it sounds like I'm saying two different things because I'm saying, oh, you need a story to be detailed, but at the same time, you need it to be easy to get through. But those two don't have to be mutually exclusive. To your point, Dolph, you can have shorter sentences, shorter paragraphs. You don't need to use big over-the-top words. You'll get better results if you're writing in a more conversational tone. You know, we've all gotten those big long letters and you open it up and you go, mm, nope, no, I'm not even gonna look. I respect this organization. Maybe I'll send them some cash, but I'm not reading this letter. Because it looks like a job to read through the 
the letter. And at no point do you want your copy to look like that, whether it's in a literal printed letter or on a website or anything like that. You know, if you have a lot to convey, then call things out using subheads, call things out by bolding certain things. You want it to be easy to get through, but at the same time, you want it to be easy to skim. So if I open up that letter, if I read your subheads and just your subheads, can I understand what you're trying to convey to me? The answer should be yes, of course, but also if they're really good subheads, what you're going to end up with is someone who skims all the way through and goes, oh, actually that point was interesting. Let me go back in and read this little bit. So your subheads actually end up telling your story, but then also kind of becoming hooks to get them to read a little bit more. Which almost sounds like the way we see most websites built these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they're done well, right? We've certainly seen a bunch of websites that are not done well. But yeah, because you want to, when you get to a website, you have a certain purpose for being there. So you want to be able to quickly find what it is you're looking for. And then if you want to, you can go back and, and look at other things. But those subheads or the bolded sections or, or that kind of thing, direct your eye immediately to what you're looking for. And of course, the same thing should be true for a nonprofit's website as well. should be very easy to see what you are going to that website for. You should be able to find it very quickly and it should take as few steps as possible for you to take whatever action you want to take. One of the things that also makes me wonder, what grade level should people be writing at? And, and I say that knowing that Word can easily tell us what grade level we're writing at. And there's also some other great apps. Like I use an app called Hemingway, which actually helps me not just understand what grade level, but will give me other stats like percentage of passive sentences. Am I using too many adverbs or not enough adverbs? But what grade level should people be writing at? I think grade level is always a little bit of a difficult thing because... <laughs> Unfortunately, especially perhaps now more than ever, grade levels differ so much depending on depending on where you live, all that kind of thing. But I think more than anything else, your aim should be to simplify. Copywriting doesn't mean overwriting. If you have something to say, say it as simply as you can. Nobody wants to read a, a long sentence or an overwritten sentence. As an example, if you're saying she went to the store, that's fine in and of itself. The default should be toward simplicity. Telling a story, but you don't have to overtell it. I think one of the things that my students are often surprised about is how different it is from high school English. We were taught to diagram a sentence and how to use an adverb, and it's, it's a very different type of writing from what we were taught. And I, I mean, I specifically remember being taught how to essentially overwrite an essay. You know, it was the longer the sentence, the better, and the more complicated the sentence, the better. And, and a lot of us have learned that academic writing, and it's, it can be a little hard to break away from that when we actually have to write something that's not for a professor or for an English teacher, but for just your, your average everyday person who wants to understand what it is you're trying to convey. I found that it might own life, especially as I've been blogging over the last several years. And as an example, in high school and college, everyone always said, oh, you can't use a conjunction at the beginning of a sentence. I can't tell you how many times in the last five years on my blog, a sentence starts and capital A or but capital B. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely one of those rules that can be thrown away. More than anything, your copywriting should, I mean, within the, the boundaries of your nonprofit, of course, but it should sound the way that people talk. And yeah, 
people talk by starting their sentences with and periodically. People talk by ending their sentences with to. It's much easier to read copy that's written the way that people actually speak, which is in short sentences, which is sometimes in phrases and frankly, sometimes in bullet points as well. And I will also say that from my perspective, I think when we break those rules of grammar, we have to know that there's a reason behind it. And so as an example, if I start a sentence, capital B, but, I want to make that but really clear. So if that conjunction's in the middle of a sentence, eh, it's kind of easy to skip over it. But, you know, if I'm talking about something and I say, oh, nonprofits almost always have experienced decreased income during a recession, period. But 5% of nonprofits do not. You know, that but suddenly stands out. Absolutely. That's a great point because that's a great way to call attention to things. And to start a sentence in a way that you wouldn't normally start it makes it clear that that is something important. And are there any other ways that if you break a rule, you're emphasizing something? Numbers. Often we're taught to write out Write out numbers, I think it's from one to nine, you're supposed to write out the actual word. And then if it's above nine, you can use the actual number. But the thing is, is that people's eyes are drawn to characters that are different from all the other characters. So people's eyes are drawn to numbers. So I almost always would recommend if it's an important number, which it probably is if it's in there, to use the actual digit instead of using the words. I love that. I actually not thought about that, but I love that. Are there any other rules that should be broken to make a point? Take it on a case-by-case basis, but if you have a reason for breaking a rule, go ahead and break it. If you're writing something out and you're thinking, well, the rule says it should be this way, but it just sounds better this way. If it sounds better, then that's probably the way to go. Now, I will say that one of the tips that I give to both businesses and nonprofits as well as my students is once you've written something, take the time to read it out loud. Because sometimes we do catch things when we read it out loud versus when we, when we just read it in our heads. Sometimes things make a lot of sense in our heads. And then when we actually read it out loud, it's a little awkward or something doesn't work quite right. So I would definitely read it in your head, but then also read it out loud. I guess the takeaway really is, is <laughs> English teachers everywhere throwing up their hands. But uh, the takeaway really is to, to not worry so much about the rules as be much more concerned about the message. What are you trying to get across? Um, I think that's one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things that people get tripped up on is when they're trying to write a web page or when they're trying to write uh, an appeal or something like that an appeal for donations is they get very caught up in all of the stuff that they have to put in there. When one of the best ways to to stay focused is to take a step back and say, okay. What am I trying to get across here? What is my big message? Okay, what key points support that? Okay, and at the end of all of that, what is the action we want this person who's receiving this message to take? Got it. I'd like for us to shift gears and talk about being creative when you don't feel like being creative. Let me give you an example. 20 plus years ago when I was a development director, I reached a point when, and this is in terms of like the annual end of year letter. After you've worked for the same organization for three, four, five years, you sit down at your desk sometime in August to write that letter. You're not in 
the cheery end of your mood. And you're thinking, I've said this five times. What else can I say? And literally, the mood to do this letter just completely leaves your body. What advice do you have for people like me that experience that? Mm-hmm. And that that happens for all of us, right? Whether you're writing for a nonprofit or whether you're writing for a corporation. I remember, you know, when I used to write for Marshalls and TJ Maxx, the same campaigns year over year, but just slightly different. So I completely understand that. It's not something just nonprofits go through. I think the first two points have to do with being prepared going into it. Um, know what time of day you are most creative. And if this is a really big, important project, you know, you're going to have to plan for this in advance anyway, but know what time of the day you are most creative. Most of us have a time of the day that things just come to us easier, things are fresher. And then we also have time of the day when things, it's like pulling teeth. Personally, I am a first thing in the morning creative from the moment I wake up till maybe 12 or so, I've got some great ideas and I can put them down. When it comes to the afternoon, useless. I'm totally useless. It's a great time for having conversations and recording podcasts, for example, but it's a really terrible time for me to have to sit down and write creative copy. Nikki, you and I are so similar with that. I also, my best creative time is the morning. In fact, it is typical for me to not even check email until sometime between 11 and about noon because I'm in the groove. I'm doing my deep think creative work and I don't want to interrupt it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you have a project that you know like that is coming up, then schedule your day. So, Because otherwise, why fight that battle if you don't have to? Do it during your creative time. And maybe if you're like us, you are a first thing in the morning. So maybe you schedule your time and you get up at 5 a.m. and you do it before going into the office when we used to be able to go into offices. And then I think the second part of that is you may also find that you can get a fresh perspective by going somewhere else, by writing in a literal different place. So whether you can go to a coffee shop, if those are open, even just like taking your, taking a notepad and going and sitting in a park, or if it's cold out, taking your car and driving somewhere, having a different environment can also be really conducive to getting, uh, getting new ideas flowing. That is also, I think, just so true. And I found that true in my own life that if I go over to a co-working space or I go somewhere else, suddenly I'm I'm not distracted by all the things that are at my desk. Yeah, we were just saying my home has been so noisy lately that I checked myself into a hotel last week so I could get something done. But not only was it quieter, but because I was in a different environment, it was so much easier for me to tap in and focus on what I had to do. Now, we might not all have the luxury of being able to book a hotel for writing an important piece for work, but you can still get that even writing in a different room in your house. It sounds silly, but even going into your bathroom, you know, sitting on the floor of your bathroom and doing work there, because it's a different environment, it can help get the creative juices, so to speak, flowing a little bit better. This conversation has actually made me remember something that I used to do to prime my creativity when it was August and I had to write a December letter and I just wasn't feeling it. Throughout the year, I would collect letters from other organizations that I really liked and 
I'm not saying I did like the organizations, but I liked the letter. I liked the pitch. I liked the setup. I liked the actual ask. I liked something in the letter. And so I ended up with a couple binders, like six-inch binders of letters that I just really liked. And so I would kind of thumb through them and get ideas and go, oh, yeah, I could do something like that. And I jot it down. And then halfway through the binder, I go, oh, or something like that. That's a great idea. I think sometimes people think like, well, well no, that's that's going to be that's stealing. No, it's not stealing. If you're not, I mean, obviously, don't use the exact same words. The way they, they begin a sentence, the way they begin a paragraph, you go, oh, that's really evocative. I could definitely do something like that. I could tell the story of so-and-so. Or if they break into the middle of the letter or something like that, you can definitely borrow ideas and make them your own. That's a great idea and a great way to keep yourself fresh. The other one that I think I've been doing a lot, especially while we've all been working from home most of this year, is when I start to just feel stale, I get up and I go for a 12 to 15 minute walk. And A, I get my steps in, but B, there's something about, and I walk briskly, so there's something about getting out of the house and walking and feeling alive that makes me sit back at my desk and go, oh my gosh, I now know what it is I need to write. Yeah, that's a great point. I think sometimes people think, oh, well, I want to take a break. And especially when we're at home, we think, oh, I'll just throw on Netflix for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And it that is not what your brain needs to be able to sit back and do the thinking that you need it to do. It takes your brain in a totally different direction. TV is probably one of the worst things that you could do for your own creativity, uh, at least during the day. At night, if you want to watch some TV to, to wind down, but it's not something that's going to allow your brain to do the creative work. To me, it's TV, social media, and email are terrible for creativity. Just terrible. I completely agree. And frankly, I think screens in general, if you really need to get up and walk away, which I agree with you, I completely advocate. I don't know if anybody else does crossword puzzle still but me. I may literally be the only one. You do a crossword puzzle and you sit and you're looking at this clue and you can't figure out what the answer could be. And so you set it down and you know, you go take a walk or you put your dishes away or whatever. And you come back 10 minutes later, you look at it and you go instantly know what it is. That's the creative process as well. And your brain can do that same thing with a letter you have to write or with any other copy you have to write or really any problem you have to solve if you give it that time away. So quick aside, I have a subscription to the New York Times crossword. Me too. And I typically do their crossword, and I'm going to admit this publicly, so listeners, I'm owning this. I typically do their crossword Monday through Wednesday or Thursday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I can never complete them without significant help from the Google machine. So I will typically start them on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if I get 20, 25% of the way through, I'm like, woo, that was a win. I feel good. Yeah, those Friday, Saturday ones especially get really hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to know. No, I'm not the only one. It's basically <laughs> you and I. Will Shorts is like, oh, <laughs> Dolphin Nikki are doing the crosswords today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's really awesome. And listeners, if you do not do the New York Times crosswords, I also just have to share with you you can click a button and it will reveal a letter or a word. But if you do that, it also gives you a warning that says, we don't count it if you complete the puzzle. So there's a certain amount of pride of not using the reveal a word or a letter, because even just one letter, boom, they don't count it as you did it. And so if you're on a four-day streak, you're not on a four-day streak anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you break your streak. It's painful. How badly do you mm-hmm. want it? Yeah, no, I'm right there with so, you. So I'm sorry, that is such a tangent. But I just, I had to say, like you, I'm a crossword puzzle person. I'm also a Scrabble person. Love Scrabble. This is actually not as much of a tangent as it seems like it is, because uh, I will often tell people that one of the reasons I like copywriting so much is it feels like a word puzzle, because it is absolutely creative, but at the same time, you always have an objective. There's something you're trying to do, some connection you're trying to make, and it all comes down to how you arrange the words and how you arrange the messages so that when you get to that place and you get it in, I mean, it's not, nothing's ever perfect, of course, but when you get it to that point where it's all coming together and it flows very naturally, you can step back and go, oh, yes, I hit it out of the park. I really actually feel very much like copywriting is uh, is a word puzzle. Admittedly, I never thought about it that way, but you're 100% right. Sometimes, you know, you want a short word and you want it to begin with the letter D, but you're just not sure what word it is. I never thought about that, but you were right. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes a sentence need a, needs a certain cadence. So you can't use a longer word. It needs a shorter word. And even just sometimes you go, all right, I've got this message here, and that's really powerful. And I've got this message here, and that's really powerful. But I need to connect them somehow. So what do I have to say in the middle that it all makes sense together? Thought it was a tangent, and it's not. Nikki, I'm super impressed you were able to tie that in. That is really off the chain amazing. This is a great segue for us to, really for you, because I don't know how to do this, for you to share with listeners if they love words, if they love things like the crossword or Scrabble, and they're maybe interested in doing copywriting as a side hustle or maybe even a career change. How does someone, say, mid-career who's never been a professional copywriter, how do they make that shift? Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is that I would say the vast majority of my students don't have any background in copywriting or in marketing or in sales or anything like that. I can teach you all those skills, but that innate love for writing is something that you bring to it or the natural kind of affinity. I would think that a lot of your listeners are like me in that for a lot of my life, I loved writing, but I also thought that writers couldn't make any money. You know, your novelists don't make any money unless they're J.K. Rowling or Stephen King. And sadly, most journalists don't make any money and most bloggers, all that kind of thing. But the, the good news is that copywriting is actually a field in which writers are respected and paid well for what we do. Uh, And then, thank goodness, it's also really fun to do. But it is a very different field from any other type of writing, though. Um, And I think we've probably done a pretty decent job of conveying that so far. It is a full career, so people should be looking to get trained in it if there's something they want to do. So, The good news is, is that you don't need to go to college for for four years or anything like that in order to perfect your technique or even just learn how to do it. We have students that land their first client within like a month of starting to learn. Uh, It's a very specialized field, but what that means then too is that as you are learning these techniques, you are able to help people with their messages pretty quickly once you start learning and once you start practicing. And so it sounds like it's definitely something that a person working in the nonprofit sector could do as a side gig or a side hustle. 
Um, we have a lot of students that intend to go full-time eventually, but start part-time. But we also have a lot of students that like their full-time jobs, but they want to add a little extra income. It's a very flexible career. You know, you can talk to your clients and have Zoom calls with your clients and do your work in the evenings and on the weekends if you want to. It's a very merit-based career. So it doesn't matter what you look like, how old you are, what your background is, all that kind of stuff. If you can write good copy, then people will hire you to write good copy. That is such a powerful statement. If you can write good copy, people will hire you to write good copy. Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing is, is that never before have there been more companies, first of all, just to begin with, uh, companies and organizations, of course, never before have those companies and organizations understood the importance of good marketing and never before have they also then understood the importance of good messaging and good copywriting. So it's an excellent time to be a copywriter because even as much as, you know, I'm training my students and there are copywriters out in the world you couldn't possibly, couldn't even begin to, to flood the market with copywriters. You can't even begin to meet all of the need. There's so much more need for good copywriters than there are good copywriters out there to fill that need. And I would also be willing to bet, and I could be wrong, so if I am, say so, but I'd also be willing to bet part of the flexibility is most companies nowadays don't want to hire a permanent full-time copywriter. What they want is a contractor who's going to come in and work on a project basis and get something specific done, and maybe they'll use that person again. Mm -hmm. Companies definitely do hire copywriters, but right now, specifically right now during the COVID-19 crisis and the recession, which I think we're still in, maybe we're not, but companies get hyper-focused on selling. And unfortunately, that means that they will maybe let go or furlough teams that are not directly focused on selling, but they get hyper-focused on selling and the messages that sell, which means that they also get hyper-focused on their copywriting. And that may mean that they're bringing in freelance copywriters. The first time that I hit six figures as a copywriter was in 2008, in the middle of the Great Recession, right after I left a full-time job. As much as it seems scary and chaotic out there, and in, in many ways it absolutely is, for copywriters, it's actually a, a really great time in a way. I hesitate to use the word great because I don't want to sound uh, a tone deaf or insensitive, but strictly in terms of career and career goals, it can be a great time. And it's also, you can be impactful on companies. You're always impactful, but I think that now when things are as crazy as they are, it can be helpful to know that you are helping a company or a nonprofit helping that nonprofit, helping these companies survive, helping these nonprofits survive, and helping their staff and whatever their greater goals are. And I would be willing to bet that in 2008, that first year that you hit six figures, you had more security than your peers who stayed in full-time jobs because you probably had multiple, four, five, six, 10, 20 clients. So if you lost 
10% of your clients, okay, you felt it, but you still had money coming in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The, one of the things that I will always say is you are safest when you are in control of where your income comes from. You know, if someone wants to go freelance and their plan is just to tell the world I'm freelance and then sit there and wait for the clients to come to them, I would say, no, 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 you need to stop. One of the things that we teach our students is a predictable system for finding and landing clients. If you don't have a system, then it's nothing's going to work. You Clients are not going to find you. It's not a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come kind of situation. But if you know what you're doing, if you know how to do the work, if you're willing to get a little bit outside of your comfort zone, since as we know, all the best things in life are outside of our comfort zones. And if you have the system and you execute on that system, then you have every opportunity for success. And yeah, like you said, you are in control of your income. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on. You know there's an off-the-map question coming your way. And my off-the-map question is, I understand that you were both a Pilates instructor and I think an aqua aerobics instructor before you were doing what you're doing now. So I have been a copywriter for 15 plus years and actually not included in that time when I was in high school. My dad was a marketing director at the time and would bring home extra work and then would give me feedback on it, which is how I kind of dip my toes in copywriting. But I went to school for PR, didn't like PR, got out of school, worked at a health club as their events person and then their front desk coordinator and then you know, assistant general manager. But Decided I didn't want to do that, but I needed to pay the bills and I had not realized that I could do copywriting full time. So in that interim period of time, I, yeah, I was teaching aqua aerobics. I made those ladies work. I was teaching spinning and Pilates and personal training and unfortunately also sleeping a lot because I was depressed and couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And then I realized that copywriting was something that I could actually do. And since then, it's been what I do. I love it. It's really impressive that you were teaching those classes. This is a long time ago now, 25 years ago. One of my best friends from grad school, she and I decided that we wanted to look into becoming aerobics instructors, certified aerobics instructors. This is pre-internet. So we ordered the course, which came as a big honking book. And... She was a young lawyer. I was a young grant writer. And we were both like, we're too busy. We're just too busy to learn everything that's in this book. We're not going to do it. So super impressed that you made that happen. I did it. And actually, it appeared while I was still working there full time, they didn't have enough step instructors. And they thought, oh, well, maybe we'll get Nikki to train and, and teach step. And so they had me take a class and I um, fell off the step in the middle of class. So they decided that maybe teaching step wasn't for me. But, you know, on a spin bike, you're kind of stuck there. You can't really fall off any direction. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Like, okay, everything but step. You're not going to do step. Yeah, exactly. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, I want to make sure that you know how to reach out to Nikki. And I'm going to give you two URLs. The first is filthyrichwriter.com. The second is freecopywritingtraining.com. At Free Copywriting Training, she has a free intro course that you can take if you think you may have an interest in doing this as a side hustle or even maybe one day as your permanent career. So make sure you check out both of those. She also has, as she's mentioned, 
other classes and support that she could be providing those individuals that really want to make copywriting their career. So filthyrichwriter.com, freecopywritingtraining.com. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Del. This is a lot of fun. Listeners, if you were not able to write down those URLs because you were on the New York Times website trying to figure out how you can add the crossword subscription to your newspaper subscription because they are actually, it's a little bit of a ripoff, but they are different subscriptions. Don't worry. You can go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and you can get all of Nikki's URLs. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you got something out of this episode, there are two episodes that I would suggest you take a listen to. The first is episode 143, From Nonprofit Leader to Thought Leader with Mitchell Levy. You may recall, he actually did an entire episode about why you should consider writing a book and how that will help your nonprofit and you. Also consider episode 82, Starting Your Own Grant Writing Business with Susan Bacon. If you listened all the way to the end, you clearly have some interest in launching out on your own at some point, and you clearly have some interest in writing. So something else to consider is that grant writing business. So make sure you check out episode 82. Listeners, while you are on our website, while you are downloading additional episodes, also rate and review the podcast. That is part of how people find out that we are here and how they become listeners as well. That is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.